Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Danny B. From all of us in the writing community, we just think you're amazing because you put your heart and soul into everything you talk about on this amazing show. The podcast has over 50,000 listeners every month. I love coming on your show and I love talking about it. Oh my God, I finally get to speak about it. Talk about all the things that I've been with by myself for so long. I mean, you provide that opportunity to so many of us and, you know, always are an amazing host. We chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. But most of all, we have real conversations and we have a laugh. I'm feeling sick. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being here and sharing the journey. Welcome to another episode of Words and Nerds, where we bring literary goodness straight to your ears. Today, I'm super excited to welcome Belinda Morell to the podcast again for the second time. She was on episode 329. We talked about the Golden Tower. Belinda is an award-winning, internationally published children's author. Her titles include The Golden Tower, The Sun Sword Trilogy, and for younger readers, the popular Lulu Bell and Pippa's Island series, as well as many, many more. Today, we chat about The Silver Sea, the second book in a series. Welcome, Belinda. Oh, thank you, Danny, for having me. It's great to be here. It's great to have you back. I was saying it was about 200 episodes ago, but it feels like yesterday we were just sitting here talking about the Gong Tower. I can't believe how (laughs) fast time goes. I know. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. But, yes, so exciting. Mm, It was also really nice to see you um, at the Kids and YA Festival not long ago. That was really nice seeing you buzzing around. Oh, that was just such a huge weekend. It was so exciting. And after all those months of work to see it come together so beautifully, I was very thrilled. Yeah. And I do want to ask you before we crack into the book, what is it like? What's involved in putting something like that together? I mean, I know it must have been massive amounts of work. It was. It took months and it was a matter of working out in two programs in two separate rooms and thinking about all the things that aspiring writers might want to know and then (laughs) really, really thinking about it from their point of view Mm. and trying to talk about the business and give lots of really, really drill down to give aspiring writers some great tips and some tricks and tips and techniques and hear from the publishers. So, um, Mm. yeah, so it was a really, really great program. I loved we had some fantastic feedback for it and I oh, loved great. it myself. Yeah, no, I loved so, it as well. What I loved about those, I love about those small festivals is that everyone's just together and yes. everyone just mixes with everyone, you know. Yes. So there's, I, I do like the green room too, but there was, I also like it when there's no green room, you know, so everyone's yeah, just everyone mingled. was just buzzing. Yeah, and, and you just meet everybody and oh, that was fantastic. And, you know, I was, you know, fortunate enough to be on a pitch panel and I just met these amazing writers who were pitching their work and just to see people's passion and excitement about writing for kids like there's no nothing better oh I know and I think people who write for kids oh I think they're very special they're really warm and welcoming and you know they they just really love what they do which is just shines through I think absolutely I think writing for kids yeah it's different because you're shaping you know you're, you're kind of part of that shaping of who they become you know because all of our childhood books they stay with us forever right and yes they do and what's it like when you go into a bookshop or a secondhand bookshop and you go oh I used to read this as a kid like there's nothing nothing beats that feeling of nostalgia And I think if you asked anybody, anyone on the planet, if they they had to name one book that changed their life, it would be a kid's book. It wouldn't be an hour. Mine was Judy Bloom for sure. Super fudge. I still remember it. I can't even name how many (laughs) they were. I just know that was one of them. (laughs) 
<laughs> and lucky my mum didn't know what was in Judy Bloom. Belinda, she might have taken them away from me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, apparently they in the library. They just used to open, just fall open on those pages. Of course. The kids of didn't course. just read that one page. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Getting back to the book, I know we can get carried away. That's my fault. I love a tangent. But we will go back to the Silver Sea, follow up to your previous novel. Give me an elevator pitch as to what this one's about. Well, we loved the Golden Tower so much. Mm, we did. had to go back and spend some more time in that world. So <laughs> lucky Sophie gets to go back to the magical land of Tuskia and she's immediately thrown into danger. So she and Nico have to set off on this quest, heading off to the far north to try to rescue their grandmothers. And so the, the, the story is full of magic, uh, mystery, wonder, but, of course, there's danger at every turn. Mm, I love this a lot. And like you said, as soon as she returns, she's thrown into danger in Instantly. And, you know, I love magic and adventure and danger and kids love it too because they can, you know, have a look at these things but from a safe place, right? But as a writer, um, what do you love about writing, you know, adventure and action and magic? Uh, I just absolutely love escaping into this world. I wrote this during lockdown last year. So I felt like I spent the whole of lockdown in the magical land of Tuskegee, which was much more exciting than being locked here in my office. I can tell you <laughs> it was just great. And I just love that sense of creating a world and thinking about the, the mischievous creatures that might be there and what sorts of danger they could be and all these challenges I can set my poor darling little characters <laughs> that I adore, but I do like causing trouble for them. See how they can get out of it. That's absolutely. The thing. And I think more than ever, kids just need escapism. You know, as much as we've tried to protect them from what's going on in the world, it's been going on for far too long. They've been excluded from school and in lockdown, etc. You can't hide it from them, right, as much no. as you want to protect them. So they know, you know, and there's a bit of fear there. So I think books like these have never been more important for kids because they get to get out of the real world and get into some magic and wonder. I mean, What's better than that? Absolutely. And I also think that for modern day kids, sometimes it really helps them deal with their own problems. If they're reading about a character dealing with certain problems and sometimes they're much worse and more dangerous and scarier than a real kid's problems and they can learn from that and then think maybe my problems aren't so bad or maybe, oh, right, maybe I could tackle my problem in that way. So mm. I think kids learn from reading books. Yeah, absolutely. Deal with their own problems. Yeah, I read this article that said that um, the more you read, it actually changes you and changes how empathetic you are to the world. Yes. And, you know, isn't that interesting, you yes. know, from the amount of books we read, I'd really like to have done that measure of my brain from when I was 20 to now to see what, you know, happens to your brain after you read, you know, 80, 100 books a year. Oh, I think I absolutely really believe I really believe that um, the kids who read a lot have much more empathy and they're far less likely to be judgmental. And, yeah, so I think, yeah, reading is really good for you. It's <laughs> smarter and wiser and much nicer all round, really. That's right, more empathetic and we can we can have a bit more of that in the world, I think. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Now, talking about real kids and real problems, I mean, we, we touched on this before with your protagonist, Sophie, who manages yes. her dyslexia and continues to. And I really liked that you know, she has that challenge, but she's finding her other talents and it doesn't sort of hold her back. So I think that really speaks to kids and, and adults who, you know, none of us are perfect and all of us are presented with some challenges, but it just shows you that you can, you can still push through and achieve anything. Yeah, I, that was really important to me. So I was inspired to write uh, Sophie having dyslexia because um, my son had a friend called Sophie who has dyslexia and she's just the most extraordinary girl and she's so creative. And even though she struggles with um, her literacy, 
her creativity is just amazing. So in a way, dyslexia is her superpower. And so I was playing around with that idea that um, the character, even though she in the beginning felt that this was a real flaw, that actually it became her strength. And I was um, at a school this morning um, and I was talking to a girl who had dyslexia and she was so excited that my protagonist had dyslexia. She bought both the books immediately and couldn't wait to read them. So, Oh, wow. That's nice. And it is nice to see yourself in books. Yes. It's yeah, I think that's really, really, really important for kids to see yeah. that. And, yeah, sometimes at schools kids come up to me and say, oh, Belinda, could you please write a character that's just like this? <laughs> like kind of describe the character they want me to write about. So, <laughs> I yeah. love it. You put it in your little notebook for later. <laughs> I do. I do. <laughs> I love that. Now, what's it like writing a series compared to a standalone? There must be challenges and advantages to that. I love writing series. I love the chance to get really, really involved in the world and the characters and um, I guess sort of see them develop over more than one book. I think um, I really, really love that. Uh, my time slip series is a bit different because they're all standalone books. And um, But after, after writing those, I think I've really enjoyed writing a number of series where you just kind of follow the same characters and see them. I think for kids, they love going back to that world and knowing the characters and knowing what to expect. And that that is a real sense of comfort for readers, I think. Yeah, absolutely. There must be some challenges, though, because I guess you look at your character arc in one book. Yes. And then you've got to keep doing that depending on how many books you're writing in a series and you don't always know how many books are going to be in a series. No. So how, do you, how do you tackle that challenge? Oh, I don't know. It's really tricky. I sort of played a little bit by ear and I know that I was um, playing around with some ideas for a third book in the series and my editor goes, well, you know, what's Sophie's narrative arc going to be? And I'm thinking, oh, gosh, like, yes, haven't quite thought that far yet. But <laughs> I think it kind of comes to me as, as you're writing. I know with, um, with my Pippa's Island series, there was this lovely sort of like each book had its own arc and then the series had an overarching arc and it was just tied up beautifully with the last book, which was kind of lucky and and, and it was really um, lovely to have the chance to do that. Whereas with the Lulabelle series, we kind of kept rolling with them for a little while. So you didn't have quite that same sense of a an overarching theme with the um, the whole series. But, mm. yeah, no, I love that. I just absolutely love coming up with um, and I guess it gives you the chance for the characters to continue to grow. Yeah, and there are advantages to both because when you're writing a standalone, you're just building that entire world and character from scratch and then never revisiting it again. So I guess revisiting, you know, you've got most of the things set up. It's just about how your character is going to evolve from that point. And it was really nice to sort of hone in on um, different characters. So, for example, in the um, the Golden Tower, there was a, a one cast of characters and then I deliberately left a lot of those characters behind. And so it was just Sophie setting off with Nico. So we concentrated, I concentrated a lot on their relationship. And then I brought in some other really fabulous characters that I adored, um, which was Viola and her and her brother Tomo. And that sort of gave me the chance to have some fun with some new characters. Mm, I like that. I like that. Now we've got the Golden Tower, the Silver Seas. The next one, like, is it bronze? No, all the kids keep saying <laughs> when they're giving Belinda, Belinda, I think you should call it the bronze such and such. Bronze Mountain, or and I'm like, well, no. it has to have a litter. Oh, it has to have alliteration. Yeah, no, I, I'm sure you will think about that. It's just everyone's thinking about the Olympics, obviously. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but it's so funny how many kids have suggested names to me based on bronze. I'm very unoriginal in that way. In that space. <laughs> I was thinking 
actually playing with the idea of gems actually like turquoise oh or yes like I emerald. like that yes <laughs> or that's that, that sounds very magical amethyst <laughs> yes oh good I love gems <laughs> yeah me too me too who doesn't now Sophie's cat is a character yes. favorite I've read a lot of reviews actually, about Sophie's yes. cat about this cheeky feline and it, it has a character of its own it's personified yes. in some ways tell me about the cat and why that's important oh look I well, I love animals. All of my books have animals in it. And I love this idea of talking animals. And in our in our family, we kind of joke around a little like our dog constantly talks to us. We all pretend to be Rosie talking to us. And I kind of love this idea that my family, you know, pretends to be animals talking all the time. So <laughs> it wasn't much of a jump to actually the animals at really talking. <laughs> and we had a couple of wonderful cats for years. We had them for about 20 years. And one of them was kind of quite snarky and she had a lot of attitude. And so I think I was inspired by that sort of snarky cat attitude. Mm, a true cat. Like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Whereas you know, my dog is much more loyal and sweet. Mm. Um, and when we were in Italy, we were staying in this tower and they, the Italians adore cats. So this family had this big ginger cat called Lorenzo that kept breaking into our tower no matter how many times we kicked him out. He'd always just break in and I thought, oh, well, he clearly wants to be in my book. So that was in, <laughs> what inspired Baccio. He just barged in. So. I love that. That's yeah, great. he was great. And I think the um, Italian, a lot of the Italian fairy tales have this sort of tradition of talking cats and yeah. kind of like the demon cat. And so I was just playing around with like, that Italian inspiration of fairy tales. Oh, I love that so much. Now, you have written many books. Yes. I, I want to know if your writing process has either changed over time or whether it changes with each book. Uh, a little bit of both. I think when I first started writing my very first book, I was much more of a, um, I didn't really plan it out. I was just kind of like writing and I was writing for my kids and I had plenty of time, no deadlines. And it took me a couple of years to write. So um, yeah, it was a much more, I guess, free and um, just kind of blurb of um, writing on the page and playing around with things and learning a lot. And then once um, I started having contracts and deadlines, I had to become much more structured in my approach and plan things out much more carefully. And I think the, the further on I go, the more I plan and the more I play around with different ways of planning as well. I love mm -hmm. experimenting with, you know, sometimes I'll do it with, on cards or um, sometimes I'll do it in a, you know, I'll draw a big arc and pl plot out my, my character arc as well as my narrative arc. So, yes, I think... Um, I think as time goes on, um, I've become much more structured in the way that I, I write uh, or at least plan, if not um, in my actual creative process. Mm, I really like that. Now, what I often hear from authors, and I wonder if it's the same for you, is saying no matter how many times I've written a book and published a book, it's always like I'm starting for the first time. I know, and I don't know why. That is so <laughs> weird. One would think that after all these years that you'd actually know what you were doing. <laughs> I still feel sometimes like I have no idea what I'm doing. And sometimes I'm teaching kids, um, not kids or say kids or students, creative writing and I'm thinking, oh, oh, that's right. You're supposed to do that. <laughs> oh, that would help. And, <laughs> and I don't know. It's just I think it's so complex and you're trying to think mm. of so many different things. Absolutely. It's easy to forget elements and then which is why I love editing because that's when you can fix up all those mm. silly mistakes. And, and But that's the magic of creativity, right? Yes. If there was a absolute roadmap to creativity, I think it would lose its magic a little bit. Oh, it so would. it's it what makes boring. it both, you know, attainable but also really, really hard because yes. you're starting with something blank, blank page or a blank canvas or whatever, and 
you know, you're trying to create something from there. So I think creativity is a very strange beast. You know, and you go to write something and then nothing will come and then you'll go for a walk and all these ideas come. And then, you know, so it's not something you can always plan. It's not something you can always, um, you know, you can push it around a little bit, but it kind of has a mind of its own, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. And I think that's the beauty of it. It's just mm. that um, this bubbling up of ideas and inspiration and, and you're thinking, where did that come from? And sometimes I look at the, I get to the end of the book and I think, I don't know where, you know, like, I don't know how it happened. <laughs> where did that come of, from? Where did it come from? I don't know. But it's, it's, it's odd, isn't it? When you start with this just idea and then maybe yes. on a scrap paper or your cards or whatever, and then you hold this beautiful book, like there's magic to that. There has to be magic. Oh, to that. It is magic. It is magic. It's just such a wonderful, you know, I think I get addicted to that <laughs> process of just coming, you know, creating those people, yeah. those wor worlds. And yeah, it's, it is. It's, and it's, it's so hard to teach because you think you could break it down into mm. some sort of formula, but of course it doesn't work like that. No. You know, it, it, the, yeah. the formulas, once you start, it gets formulaic, it's, it's lifeless. Yeah. So that, it's that creativity that brings that, those ideas to life. Mm. Now, we're talking before I started recording about our six degrees of separation at the moment. Yes. I, I interviewed Kate Forsyth, who of course is your sister last yes. night and her episode's coming out this week. And then I'm about to interview Deborah Bella and you're having a joint book launch with Deborah Bella. Tell me what this is going to look like. Oh, it's going to be so much fun. Deb and I have been great friends for many, many years. In fact, when I was a brand new author I just looked up she was a great mentor for me I looked up to her and I've just we've worked very closely together in fact we have the same publisher and the same oh, editor wow. and we have for many years and so we had this great idea so we have a book coming out in the same month that we'd um, have a day of doing school visits together which will be so much fun more fun for us than the kids I think <laughs> that's Monday and then um uh, later in the month, um, on the 27th of August, we are going to be having a joint book launch at Dinix in George Street. So um, we're both going to share the time and we're both going to talk a bit about it, the inspiration behind our books, show our book trailers and do a reading. And Deb's going to get the kids to do a little play from her book. Oh, so wow. I can't be wait. Gorgeous. And my sister Kate's going to launch it for oh, us. Oh, my goodness. Oh, no. <laughs> and then we're going to have our, our publisher there and our editor there. So it's going to be lots of, lots of fun so oh, it sounds brilliant absolutely brilliant yes it well, will look, be great I've asked you this question before Belinda but sometimes it changes or evolves etc so I'm going to add another little word into it I usually ask why do you write I'm going to ask why do you still write and if it's the same reason that's okay but I love scratching the surface of this I just absolutely love it. I think I'm addicted to it it's that <laughs> um, rush of um, getting lost in the story and Really, it's that seeing that joy when you see a reader that just loves your books. I had a little girl that came up to my launch today and she had, was clutching her Pippa's Island and it was her favourite series and she's so excited to meet me. And I just think it's that relationship that you have with your readers, which is so, so, so special. Absolutely. So, yes, there's the joy of creating, but it's the joy of sharing it and getting that feedback from kids who love your mm. love your work. It's just wonderful. Yeah, and I love the idea as well as, you know, you've created this thing, but once you send it out into the world it's no longer yours like I love the idea of that yes I do too and it's just it's quite interesting how different people fall in love with different characters or not perhaps not the character you think they will mm. and and then you love something like you know all these people who are in love with Baccio my cat and <laughs> yes, oh, so he's so great <laughs> 
I love that. Well, it's been so lovely to talk to you. It always is. I love reading your books. I think, you know, we need more magic in the world. So, you know, I love what you're doing right now. So thank you so much for your time and for chatting with me about the book and not only that process and then touching on the uh, festival as well. Look forward to, um, you know, whatever's coming for you next. Now, there is going to be a third one in this book. Well, at the moment, I am working on a junior fiction series. Fantastic. Because I have had a really tough few years where I've been working on some really big books. And um, so I thought, oh, perhaps I need to have a little something a little bit more playful and shorter. And so um, and play around with writing for younger kids again, like my Lulu Bell series. Mm. Yeah. So I think that might be what I'm working on next. Great. And junior fic is so fun to read. Yes. You know, I love it when my kids pick up that I always have lots of books in my study and I do, they just have free range of them you know so sometimes I'm like I've got an interview where's my book <laughs> it's, it's so much good. fun mm. and I had a girl today at, at this school and she was in high school and she came up with a little Lulu Bell and it was her favorite one and she said oh Belinda could you just sign? I know this was my favorite book when I was little but can you just sign up for me please and I think oh that she still loves it after mm. all this time it's just because right, books are memories you know books are memories of where you were when you read it or who read them to you, you know, so they, they become so much more childhood books, I think. Oh, absolutely, they do. So, Danny, thank you so much for having me. It was lovely to chat with you, as always. As always, and we'll talk again. Thank you. Thanks, Danny. Bye.